Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by eXp or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. I am very excited to introduce this guest to our audience. You're probably his audience too, actually. Uh, I have Dave Meyer. VP of data and analytics at Bigger Pockets on to talk about the market and really, I mean, all things related to interest rates and home prices and should we invest and all, all the things. So Dave, how's it going? <laughs> Good. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm excited to talk about all of those confusing, but important topics that you just mentioned. Yes. How the tables have turned. You've interviewed me a couple of times and this will be the first <laughs> time doing the opposite. It's true. <laughs> awesome. So first let's start off by uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what your jam is besides sandwiches. <laughs> sure. So as Avery said, I'm the vice president of data and analytics at Bigger Pockets. I've worked there for more than seven years now in a variety of roles, uh, most of the time related to data. That's what my you know education and training is in. And over the last couple of years, I have started to transition away from sort of doing the internal data at Bigger Pockets, like running the business intelligence team, and more towards understanding the real estate market, which we call market intelligence at Bigger Pockets really trying to understand, study, analyze the macroeconomic and local housing market factors that impact real estate investing decisions. And so that's how I spend most of my time. I'm also a real estate investor. I've been investing for almost 13 years now, um, mostly in uh in rental properties, syndications, but I do have one lonely short-term rental. So um, I have a little bit of experience here. <laughs> one lonely short-term rental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I did it, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people get into it. It's like, I did it because I wanted like a place where I could go and use. Um, and I bought it like right before I moved to Europe. So I never use it, but it's been a great <laughs> investment. So I'm pretty happy well, that's with good. it. That's good. Where is it? It's in Colorado, right? It's a ski market you, somewhere? Yeah, exactly. It's in like a small ski town in Colorado. Awesome. Well, I have all kinds of questions for you and a limited amount of time to get through them. So <laughs> let's start with, uh, I was going to say, let's start with the elephant in the room, but there's a number of elephants in the room, the way the economy is right now. So I guess we'll start with 
What do you see? What are you seeing based on the trends in the market now? What do you think the outlook is for investors for you know the rest of the year, early next year? Do you think uh, it's a good time to buy, bad time to buy? What are your thoughts? I it's really tough to say. I'll just say start with the caveat of no one knows for sure. And when we do this type of analysis, what I'm talking about and when I say I think is going to happen is not a hundred percent. I think you know I, I like to think in probabilities. And I'd say that I feel you know sixty percent sure that something like this is going to happen, but there's a pretty good chance something else will happen. Looking at the data and the information that we see right now in the middle of April is that the housing market is showing surprising signs of life, I would say, and that prices right now are slightly below where they were at this time last year. And that's how I personally choose to look at the housing market is in this year over year fashion. And right now they're about 2% down from where they were a year ago. But prices are starting to rise in a typical seasonal pattern, as Avery, I'm sure you know, and people listening to this, if you don't, prices generally in the housing market, they, they rise from January to about June or July, and then they slowly decline throughout the rest of the year, and then they start their rise again. That's called seasonality. And the seasonality of the housing market is doing what it always does this year. It's rising. It, it grew from, you know, from January to February, February to March, March to April. And so my guess is that prices will follow that normal pattern, but they're going to be slightly lower than they were last year. So I think we're going to see prices, uh, you know, somewhere between down three to 8% year over year um, by the end of the year is sort of my, my best guess right now. Um, but honestly, I, I think that there's possibility that it declines more. And I also think there's possibility that the housing market grows right now. I just think those are less probable outcomes. And then answer your second question about like, sorry, did you ask if it's a good time to buy? Yeah, <laughs> or yep. did I make that up? No, I did. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, and then is it a good time to buy? I sort of think so because these types of markets where it's really confusing there's creates just like a lot of volatility. And when there's volatility, that means that there's an opportunity typically to get a good deal. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of garbage out there right now, as I'm sure you know, um, but there's also good deals right now. And so for people who sort of have the patience to wade through a lot of bad deals and find sellers who understand current market conditions and that it's not last year and that prices have changed. Um, I think there are good uh, opportunities right now. And right now, the way it looks is that prices could keep falling a bit, but it's not in my mind looking like a crash scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with that. And I agree with pretty much everything you said that it it is a good time to buy in terms of being able to get deals because not everybody and their golden doodle are able to buy houses at <laughs> you know two percent interest right now. So uh, you know two years ago there was a the market was really really crowded with buyers and now it's not. So you can do things like negotiate and get concessions and things like that. Uh, but I think the the main thing that I see that we're dealing with in the housing market at least from the buyer side, is unrealistic sellers, sellers that still want to think that it's two years ago. Uh, I mean, I even saw recently, uh, we had a client make an offer on something that was totally market value, but they had it overpriced by a good 200,000. Uh, and the listing agent said, my 
my seller and I say, LOL, that was the response. That was the text response. And we're Interesting. like, okay, well, it's not 2021 <laughs> anymore. And but buyer ended up just, moving. we're like, do you want to counter or something? Or you want to just let it sit? And it's still sitting. Um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that we still have a little ways to go before the sellers as a whole understand that, you know, they're not going to get that. 500,000 over asking that their neighbor got two years ago. And it, those days are just gone. Absolutely. And you see this pattern where a lot of sellers, not everyone, but some sellers anchor their expectations to the absolute peak, which is crazy because that's just like a small moment in time when, when that was happening. And this cycle, it happened for longer than it normally does. But you know the true market value of a property is not what it was at the absolute highest. That's you know usually when it reaches those absolute highs, it's a sign that things are you know going to start coming down. <laughs> uh, and so like saying that you know expecting to get what people are getting in June of 2022 is just not reasonable. Uh, and I think there you know you start to see signs that sellers are understanding that like list price is coming down um and the sale to list price is getting more in line with re, you know reasonable expectations. So I do think it's starting to come but that that's sort of as an investor what you have to do is find a seller who is reasonable and understands market conditions cuz like you said there's probably no reasoning with someone like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so Along those lines, interest rates. So everybody, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I am any sort of scholar of interest rates, but I certainly pay <laughs> a lot more attention to them than I ever have before. And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on, I guess the the next meeting is what next month for the Fed. Yeah, it's in a couple of weeks now. Yeah, I think it's in May. Yeah, so I would love to hear your thoughts on where we are with the whole inflation mess and where you think interest rates are going the rest of the year. Yeah, it is a it is a really confusing situation and my I'll just cut to the chase. I think that the Fed will raise interest rates uh another 25 basis points when they meet in I'm looking it up now. It's the it's the 3rd of May um when they'll announce that. My expectation is that they will do that because unfortunately inflation is just still too high. As of, you know, the beginning of April we got inflation data for March that was sort of good and sort of bad. It was a mixed bag. The top line inflation is down to 5%, which is way better than it was last June, which was over 9%. So that's really encouraging. But what the Fed really cares about is something called core inflation, which strips out certain goods and certain areas of the economy from the inflation calculation because they're really volatile. So pretty normally what they take out is energy costs like gasoline and electricity, and they take out food costs. And what you get is uh, goods that are tend to be stickier. Um, that's why the Fed cares about it is because they go up and they don't tend to go back down. These are things like rent, for example, or car prices or medical equipment, whatever it is. Um, and so when you look at this, this metric that the Fed really cares about, because it is a better predictor of future inflation, it's really not going down that much. It's actually at 5.6%. So it's higher than regular inflation. And so the Fed is looking at this 
And as the banking crisis sort of fades a little bit out of people's minds over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I think that they will raise interest rates. Um, after the May one, I'm really not sure. Um, but I I would expect, and I think the general consensus is that they're going to raise at least one more time. Yeah. Hopefully only one more time. And yeah, let's talk about those, the banking failures, because about a month ago, I was like, man, this stuff's about to get really bad. And then a couple little blips, and then it's kind of gone away. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I was worried about as well. Um, and for now, it seems like the interventions that the government implemented have worked. I, it's hard to know if that's going to last. Um, it's been a couple of weeks only. And I think there are positive and negative elements of the government stepping in in a situation like this. But um, opinions aside, like right now, objectively, it does look like it is working. Um, and I think that is just the nature of banking is that like in a big way, it's like a confidence game. Like everyone has to believe in the banking system. Otherwise it falls apart. And the government took some pretty dramatic steps to instill confidence into the banking system. And the fact that they raised interest rates um, in April and that they probably are going to, again, I think gives further confidence that the banking system is okay. Cause like the fed wouldn't do that if there was more risk in my mind. Um, and so I do think we might hear some more grumblings about maybe some small banks that don't do well or some really small banks that fail. But if you look at the health of the overall banking system, it's actually quite good. Um, and, and the balance sheets of these banks are actually decent. It's really the confidence that really screwed over Silicon Valley Bank and, and these other banks. Um, and so as long as confidence stays up, I think it will be fine. Um, but that's a big F. Confidence is just a fickle thing. And, you know, it only takes a, a headline or one bank reporting something scary to maybe damage confidence again. Um, but so so there's no knowing whether it will come back. But I think right now um, it's in a it's in a fairly stable state, but uh, we'll have to see. All right. Fair enough. I'm not going to have a ton of feedback and responses to a lot of your answers because you just like live in that world so much harder than that. <laughs> no, no problem. I mean, I, I have, you know, uh, well, can I ask you a question? Sure. Have you, have you noticed any like changing of banking standards or lending in your business? Cause I'm always curious about that. Like what you're seeing on the ground. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, definitely the Fannie Mae loan level pricing adjustment. So um, with our buyers, since most of them are buying single family residential, there's not a lot of commercial lending going on. Uh, so most everyone is either getting a conventional loan or a DSCR loan. And the conventional loans, it's costing more points, more mandatory points mm -hmm. to, to get them, um, to get certain kinds of them, especially uh, with the second home loans, it's very expensive. Like it almost doesn't make sense in some cases to do wow. a second home 10% down because you have to pay so many points. You might as well just put 15% down and it's an investment loan then. And it's, it kind of takes care of itself. Hmm. So uh, yeah, we're definitely seeing, and then obviously just general interest rate raising, but um, definitely the loan level pricing adjustments on the conventional ones are making it more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting 
I should say that, you know, I did say that I think the Fed's going to raise rates again, and they may raise rates again after May. But that doesn't necessarily mean mortgage rates are going to go up. And just for everyone listening, the Fed controls the federal funds rate, which is, you know, sort of sets the baseline for prices throughout the economy. But mortgage rates right now are lower than they were in February. They're lower than they were in November when they were averaging above 7%. But the Fed funds rate has been going up. And so I think it's it's likely every time they raise that we'll see a bit of an increase to the average mortgage rate. But I don't think we're necessarily going to see, uh, you know, mortgage rates go back over 7% anytime soon. I think it's possible. But, you know, a year, you know, six months ago, I was a little worried that maybe mortgage rates would go above 8%. And I I don't really feel like that's going to happen at this point. I think maybe they'll get back above 7 for a little bit. But my best guess is that they'll probably remain pretty volatile and average like between 65 and 7% for at least the next like three to six months until like there's some more clear guidance on what the Fed is going to do. Yeah. Do you think that interest rates, because I've seen kind of conflicting, I do follow this pretty closely, but again, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert in it or know anything about it at all. But <laughs> from I've seen one camp that says, okay, obviously the Fed rates are not the directly tied to the mortgage rates. Mortgage rates are indirectly affected by that um, but I've seen some camps of people say that the mortgage rates uh, actually are more tied to the inflation itself than the 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 Fed interest rate. Excuse me. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's tied to inflation. What what if you want to understand mortgage rates? It's actually quite simple. Look at the yield on a ten year U.S. Treasury, and I know that sounds like really nerdy, but you can just Google <laughs> it. It's probably on every uh, newspaper's front page. Um, basically, government bonds are uh, the best way to predict what's happening with mortgage rates, and they're pretty low right now. Um, like the yields on the ten year are like three and a half percent. And normally, in normal times, there's about 170 basis points on top of that. So if a, a bond yield is at 3.5% like it is now, normally, you would expect mortgage rates to be at about 5.2%. Um, but they're at 6.5% because of all this volatility. And that's basically the banks um, increasing interest rates, not because of bond yields, which is usually how they make their calculation, but they're doing it because there's risk in the throughout the entire economy and they want to like pad their margins a little bit to make sure that you know if inflation picks back up again or there's a big recession that they're still able to make their money um and so i think this is important and the reason i'm saying this is because if bond yields stay low and some of this economic uncertainty gets removed from the market there's like a pretty strong case that mortgage rates are going to go down even before the fed starts cutting interest rates um, that, I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but there is like an economically sound logic to that. That is the reason why I think you hear a lot of experts saying that mortgage rates are going to end this year in the mid, you know, the high fives, for example. Um, and so we're going to have to wait and see, but that's not crazy and it's not wishful thinking. It's actually like based on pretty sound economic logic. Um, and so if that happens, I think the housing market may have already bottomed and we'll see it start to pick back up like pretty significantly like a year from now. Okay. That's, that's 
It's very interesting. Sorry, I'm like contemplating while I'm trying to talk. Um, <laughs> no yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. So let's talk about, I mean, as we're talking about economic uncertainty and crashes and recessions, and what is your opinion on people saying that, well, two camps of people, I want your opinion on both. Um, it's another 2008, all the signs are there, all the signs are there. It's going to be, you know, whatever. And then the people that are like, no, it's not, no, it's not this, this, and this are different. And it's not going to be like that. What are your thoughts on this? I personally don't see any signs that it is like 2008. Uh, I also don't think everything's rosy either. You know, I think, you know, if you go on YouTube, it's like nothing's as good or as bad as it seems. Like when you <laughs> read those headlines, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I do think prices are going to go down. I think that's actually a good thing. I know that's crazy for people think like when investors say that it's crazy, but I just think prices are too unaffordable. And that's, to me, the cause of this correction that we're in is not because there's going to be a foreclosure crisis. There's truly zero evidence that that is going to happen. Um, as of now, of course, things can change in the future. But if you look at you know foreclosures rates, they've gone up over the last year, but they are still well below where they were in 2019. So that there's just a very little risk that's going to happen. Lending standards are very good. We are starting to see default rates go up like on credit cards and on auto loans, but on mortgage loans, they are not going up. Like people are paying their mortgages. And so if you look at the conditions that need to be true um, to create a 2008-like scenario, the main thing that has to happen is what they call a quote-unquote forced selling, which is basically like, sellers are forced out of their home and have to sell at a loss. And that only happens like if there's a really bad job loss recession, which could happen, you know, there's probably a recession coming, but the job loss part has not really materialized yet. Um, I know there's some high profile layoffs, but if you look at the unemployment rate, it is very, very low right now. Um, but so, so that needs to happen. There needs to be foreclosures, which is very unlikely because people have so much equity built up in their homes that even if they sold, they're not selling at a loss. The other thing is that people are just like their free cash flow for homeowners are pretty good. And so people are probably, even if prices go down on paper, they're just not going to sell and they're not going to sell at a loss. They're just going to wait it out. And that is exactly what we're seeing. If you look at the number of new listings, which is basically people opting to sell their homes, it's down 25% over the last year. People just don't want to sell. They're just going to wait it out and see what happens. Um, and I do think prices are going to go down, but unless there's this forced selling where um, like in 2008, people were like literally losing their homes by you know millions of people. Um, I just don't see that really happening. Um, it could happen. Um, but in the residential real estate market, I think that's unlikely. 
I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I think the commercial real estate is a whole nother story. That might get into it. Yeah. I want to hear all about that. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I think that commercial real estate, if you look at multifamily prices, office, retail, they're in significant trouble in my mind, particularly office. This is pretty well documented, but like no one goes to offices anymore. And that is happening at a time where all this other economic stuff is happening. So if you look at uh, reporting and forecasts for office space, it's pretty dire. <laughs> I don't know. You know, again, I don't always know or really believe when people say like the sky is falling, but I do think like 20 or 30% declines in office values, like is a reasonable thought. Um, in multifamily, which is probably the most relevant to the people listening to this, I do still think that the like downside scenario where prices go down is worse than residential, like 10, 20% seems like almost probable to me. I think that will happen. More than 20% could happen, but maybe not the most likely. Um, And the reason I say that is a little bit, again, it's a little bit wonky, like everything I say, but when you buy multifamily, when you buy commercial real estate, you're trying to, you're basically buying a cash flow, right? Like you buy retail, um, you know, you buy an office space, you want the cash flow, like sure, property values can go up if you can increase the operating expense uh, income. But generally speaking, you're trying to just get a cash flow and that you you measure how much cash flow you're getting by something called cap rates. And so like if you bought something, uh, for example, multifamily house at a 5% cap rate, uh, if you bought that for all cash, you would get a 5% cash on cash return. That's just like a good rule of thumb. Right now, you could buy a U.S. government bond, which has almost zero risk to it for about 4.2 or 4.3%. So if you look at the spread in risk and reward here, it's just all out of whack. Like multifamily investing is way riskier than buying a US bond, but the yield on those investments is the difference is only 0.7%. And so this is something called a risk premium and basically it's just all out of whack. Cap rates are higher than interest rate or, or um, are lower than interest rates. There's like all these red flags um, for the multifamily industry. And so I personally expect that some that a lot of deals are going to be negatively impact. Property values are going to go down. That said, I still invest in them. But um, I do think that there, there's some some pretty big risk in the market right now. Yeah, I agree with that. We're in the multifamily space also. And we the deals that have been coming across recently it's like oh a 0% cash on cash return thank you for sending this yeah, to what? me <laughs> and i mean we are we always buy value add stuff so i'm not really concerned with what it makes now but what can it make after we fix it up but it's just i mean it well it's the same thing there's a lot more deals now like last year there were none you could not find anything and this year there's a lot of them and they don't but they just they don't make much sense. So I'm thinking, hoping the next step is there's going to be, there's a lot of them because, you know, maybe people's, uh, they had adjustable rate mortgages or financing on them. And that interest rate that is coming, you know, that's about to change now. So if, if it's a five year and they have to change this year, that jump is too significant and they don't cash flow anymore at the new interest rate. And then they're having to sell. So I'm hoping the next step will be more deals, but deals that make sense. So yeah. uh, you let's know, we'll all see. hope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that always the hope, I guess? Totally. It's not, not specific to right now. I, I think 
in the commercial space, you know, we were talking earlier about like sellers who are a little bit delusional. I think commercial is even worse. Like people oh. are just like, I am not selling. I like I'm cap rates are still three and a half percent. They're still 4%. And it's just like, no one's going to do that. Like it just doesn't make sense. My, my, my high yield savings account gets better cash flow than than a multifamily. Like, why would I do that right now? And I guess people make the argument like, oh, because rents, like, because you can increase NOI. And that is true. But I am personally of the belief that rents are sort of like rent growth is going to slow down. Um, and so I don't think we're going to see like a lot of income growth over the next two years, let's say. It will go up again. I'm just saying like mm-hmm. in the short term. Um, right. So I, I think that that contributes to it as well. But just like you, I, I invest in them. I just invest in value add uh, mm-hmm. projects because those can do well in almost any market. Yeah. And same thing with short-term single family residential. What, what, so what do you think as, as we're looking at, you know, the rest of 2023, are there any markets or types of asset classes that you think like pose a better opportunity or worse opportunity than others? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll skip over the commercial again, but I'll just say that um, particularly for your audience, I think we're going to see the biggest declines in residential prices in vacation hotspots. Um, not all of them, of course, mm-hmm. but when you look at demand for second homes, so this isn't investors, this is people looking to you know, buy a second home. It's like really, really fallen off. Yeah. You know, going back in time in 2019, it was like 10% of home purchases were second homes. And then in the pandemic, it the demand for second homes grew 90%. It went absolutely insane. And now it is not only crashed back down to 2019 levels, it's below where it was pre-pandemic. And so I believe that there's going to be not a lot of um people interested in buying in these markets other than investors. Like I think investors are obviously, you know, still going to be in it. I think people might sell, um, you know, if there is uh, a recession, which I personally believe there will be, um, and there's some job loss, you know, one of the first things people probably sell if they hit financial harder times is the second home. Uh, And so I think that that's good and bad for investors. Like if you own a property in that area, you might face a quote unquote, like a paper loss, like your equity value might go down temporarily. But I also think it means there's going to be really good opportunities in these markets because they went crazy as you know, better than anyone, (laughs) Avery. Um, (laughs) But I think they're going to come back down to earth in a way that may make them attractive to investors. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. And do you think that there may be a little bit of that that data might be a little fuzzy due to the number of investors who were using second. So like beginning of, let's say 2019. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of investors use second home loans to buy short-term rentals, which I was all about for our first and second properties, like at one in the mountains and then in the beach. Um, But as time went on and I saw more people using them and I saw more people like kind of abusing the product and Mm. using it in ways it's not supposed to be used, like getting like 20 second home loans and, you know, (laughs) kind of sneaking around and um, having other people get it in their name, but then they're doing the equity on the back. So they're getting a like just a bunch of things that it's not really supposed to be used for. 
And I'm wondering, since the DSCR loans for short-term rentals kind of got really, really popular starting in 2021, that if that has, how much of that has contributed to people using second home loans to buy what is technically an investment property. That's really started making me nervous, like in 2020, where I'm like, man, you guys are going to, you guys are going to get in trouble. Um, So I always try to tell people like, if you're running a spreadsheet on it, you should probably just pay the extra 5% and get an investment because one, one day it's going to, I don't want it to be any of y'all, but one day somebody's going to get popped for, for doing that. Um, totally. On a large, it'll be a, it'll be somebody who's doing it on a really large scale. It's not going to be like somebody yeah. who did it, and it's totally okay. I don't, first of all, I don't want to scare everybody into not using a second home loan. If you're going to use the house for yourself and rent it when you're not using it, that's fine. But it's the the doing it on a large scale. I think that that makes me nervous for people. But then then the DSCR loans came along, and a lot of people started using those because you don't have to qualify conventionally. And then also as of the past probably six months, the the interest rates, so they used to be lower on second home loans than they were on investment loans. Right. So that's why a lot of people would choose that. The interest rates are the same now. And then there's also a lot of points, not a lot of points, but a few points that you have to pay to get a second home. So they're adding all these things to make it less attractive in terms of being an investor and like, okay, if you're really buying this to be a second home, then you're not going to mind paying some points. It's kind of how I look at it. So there's definitely been some intentional curbing of the second home loans, I think. Um, but I also agree with you that a lot of people who were buying second homes in the pandemic, because none of us knew what, I mean, I moved to Florida during the pandemic because we didn't know how long things were going to be completely upside down. And are we going <laughs> to have to, you know, let me buy a house in the mountains or buy a house in the beach if we're going to be working from home forever. Um, so I think there was a lot of that too. And I, I can see how people would be unloading those now and not buying as many. So it's, it's all very interesting. Yeah, I, that that's very true. I, I think there's like a lot of reasons why. And I just also want to say like, when I say like, I think prices are coming down, like they're still way higher than they were in 2019 and 2020. You know, it's like the people <laughs> who bought are still probably doing just fine. Um, it's just that they're going to come down off those peaks a little bit. I also just agree with you about like uh, being a stickler for like mortgages, like during great times, mortgage rates, they're, you know, banks are writing a million mortgages. They probably aren't paying a lot of attention. I think for the first time in like 15 years, they have a reason to enforce uh, loans. And that's because mortgage interest rates have gone up. And I don't know if they're going to do this. This is just wild speculation. So this is just <laughs> my opinion. But like when I think about like something like sub two or doing what people are doing where they're sort of like not really following the letter of the law, like banks would love to get rid of your 2% mortgage. Like they would absolutely love to like throw the book at you and be like, Hey, you didn't follow the exact thing you're supposed to. We'll give you a new mortgage, but it's at 6%. You know, like they would love to do that. Um, So I, I just think that for like for years, they had no incentive to do it. Now they have a little bit of an incentive to do it. I'm not saying they will, but, uh, I think it's, you should always just follow the law, but um, it's just not worth it. But um, even with like um, anything that's gray area, I would be a little nervous about right now. Yeah. Color inside the lines, guys. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So Dave, we're to the final 
three episodes, three episodes, final three questions of the episode that we ask everyone. And the first question is what advice would you give 20 year old Dave? Oh my God. I probably shouldn't say it on, on a podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think the thing I usually say when people ask me something like this is like learning how to build systems and to delegate. I like self-managed real estate and did everything myself for like way too long. Um, And it definitely impeded my growth as an investor. Um, And so I really think that would be something I would do over again. Okay. Good advice. And what advice would you give a new investor who's interested in getting started investing today? My advice to anyone trying to get investing today is not to uh, be afraid of risk. I know that sounds weird, but I think that the key, the whole premise of investing is that you are risking something in order to earn a return. And there is risk in the market, but risk and reward are uh, what they're called like negatively correlated, which is a good thing in this case. Like the more risk you take, the more potential for reward there is. And so even though there is risk in this market and you need to decide if you're willing to take some risk, there is more potential in a lot of ways. There's more potential for reward as well. And so I just encourage you to like understand the risks, like understand that you know prices can go down, but if you have cash flow, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to sell. That you know, inflation and keeping your money in a bank account is also a risk right now. And so, just truly, truly understanding like how risk and reward work together to me is the best way to like overcome the fear of investing, to overcome analysis paralysis. Because risk is not necessarily your enemy. As long as you can understand it, you can sort of like wield it as a tool that is useful to you. Um, and I know a lot of people don't think about it that way, but I've always found that like just focusing on like really getting to know your risk well and making sure that you're comfortable with it is what gets me comfortable with any investment I make. All right. Also very great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Mindset. Um, I really like the book, Start With Why. Have you ever read that book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, uh, Simon Sinek, I think that's a, that's a great, um, business book. Uh, I think as, as I'm sure you do, Avery, you've started many businesses and do a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I am in a lucky situation where I get presented with a lot of opportunities. And I think it's really important to like prioritize and think about why you're doing things and what you want in life and not just like chase what everyone else is doing. Um, and so that book was really helpful to me in that regard. Very good recommendation. And guys, I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, but Dave is keynoting the bigger pockets conference this year. Yes. And, uh, we being Luke and myself, uh, have a breakout room, but Dave is keynoting. So if you have not <laughs> gotten tickets and you want to hear Dave and all his wisdom, uh, on the big stage, not just uh, on your iPhone, then definitely head over to biggerpockets.com. I don't have the exact link on me because I suck as an influencer, but it's you can find <laughs> it too. really quickly. <laughs> I have no idea. I work there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, biggerpockets.com. Uh, Dave's going to be there. He's I'm going to be there. Yeah. A lot of cool, cool, uh, really 
a lot of people you can learn a lot from that anybody can learn a lot from will be speaking at that in October in Orlando. So make sure you check that out if you want to hang out with us. And uh, also, Dave, if everyone wants to follow you, listen to you, learn more about you, where can they do that? Uh, great. And yes, yeah, super excited about the conference. It's very fun. Uh, you can find me on Instagram where I'm at the data deli, uh, as Avery alluded to, I love sandwiches. So that's why my uh, name is the data deli. Um, or I have a podcast called on the market. If you were listening to this and we're not terrified or very bored by all the economic talks, you can uh, come over to on the market. We talk about real estate investing news data. It's like very easy and approachable and fun. Um, and Avery's been a great guest for us on that show before. So you should check that out. Awesome. Yes, definitely go subscribe to that. Uh, Dave, any, any parting words for our audience? No, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you having me on Avery. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on several times. Of course. We'll have to have you back soon. Yeah. Let's do it again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Bye.